God. Anybody excited about the word this morning? Come on. Yeah. All right. All right. I need three people excited about the word. The rest of you, the rest of you could just stick around for the show. Amen. All right. I just want to welcome all the visitors. Let's welcome them again. Come on. Those, maybe you haven't been here in a while and you're just returning home, I just want to say welcome back. I know that it's a special day. Some kid is excited. I know it's a special day for a lot. It's the start of what they call Holy Week. It's Palm Sunday. And that's an important Sunday and I don't want to take away from that. Because... It's important, but I think it's important to some for the wrong reasons. We call it Palm Sunday, but this Sunday is not about the palm. Come on. You're going to have to like get in with me and get me excited. See, the more, the more you respond, the quicker the message goes. That's how things work. Just so you understand, you can get a preacher to go through an hour message in 20 minutes. If you amen them and keep them excited... You're getting an extra half hour now. <laughs> we call it Palm Sunday, but it's not about the palm. See, if, if all you wanted was the palm, and I know a lot of people come on Palm Sunday just for the palm. And I know why. You want to make that pretty cross. You want to get creative, right, and tie it up and use the time. You know, get real, we, get, we get all creative art special projects. If you did it already, hold up your cross. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. Nothing wrong with that. I'm saying some people come just for that. Because you think that if we make a little cross out of the palm and we get a new or fresh one every year, and as long as we keep it in the house, we got blessing and we got good luck for the rest of the year. The palm is not about luck. See, if all you wanted was a palm, you should have went to the florist this morning. Because this palm that you got, you're going to pay for today. It's going to come with conviction. Come on, say amen. All right. I like to keep it traditional on special days like this and, and stick to the traditional text and, and talk about it. But of course, Alice and Ephraim, they already preached that message. So, so, you know, we are going to celebrate, it's Palm Sunday, we're going to celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem and what that means, what it meant then and what it means to us. But I want to start this message with a reflection. I want to get you to think about something, is that alright? We don't want, this is a faker free fellowship, we don't want, we don't want robots, people that just sit there and, uh, you know, do the worship, raise their hand, clap their fingers, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, raise your hand. This is not Zumba. <laughs> Amen? We, we want people that are thinking, we want you to reflect on what we're saying, we want you to, to understand and, and, and get with the word, amen, and, and be changed by it, amen? Alright, so I want to I give you a statement, and then I want to ask you a question this morning. Here's the statement. If you follow a person's time, expense, and energy, 
you'll find at the end of that trail a throne. You like our throne here? It's pretty cool. Pretend it's a big throne, okay? Come on. So we got a low budget. If you follow a person's time, expense, and energy, you'll find at the end of the trail a throne. And on that throne sits the thing that is the most important thing in that person's life. Se puso calladito. There's the statement. Here's the question. If someone were to come along and examine our lives... If they were to take a look at the path that we're on and check out the focus of our life, how we spend our time, our money, and our energy, what would they find sitting on the throne of the center of your life? What would they notice has been leading you and driving you and pushing you? For, for so many of us here, I'm sure that there are many different Things that we would find occupying our throne. Amen? For some of us, maybe, go ahead, pretend like you don't know what that is. Go ahead. You fake Christians, come on. For some of us, maybe it's money. For some, am I driven for the desire for more money, to have more, to keep more, to spend more? You, you, you know when, when you're in that mode, right? I got to have more. I got to make more. I, gotta, I'm, I get paid well, but I got to get paid better. I got, I got because I want more and I want more, right? For, for some of us, for some of us, maybe it's material things. And, and you know, I illustrate that with some Hot Wheels right here, you know. For some of us, it's material things, you know? I, 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 want, I want good things. I got some things, but I want better things. I want my things to be better than your things. I want, if you got the better thing, I want the better rur, rur, rur thing. Amen? I want the better thing. If there's a new thing that come out, you know, Apple will hit, it, hit us every three months with a new. If it's a new one, I want the new one. I want the better thing. I want my things to have better things than your things. Come on, you, you, know, you know when you're driven by that. <clears throat> For some of us, some of us like to put, some of us like to put a person on the throne. Oh, sexy. Come on. <laughs> Recognize. Some of us like to put a person on the throne. See, a man or a woman, right? Some of us put a person on the throne in our lives, and, and the problem is that throne wasn't built for a regular person. Ay, 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 ay. I wish I would have went to the florist for the palm. I know, I know what you're thinking. See, anyone, anyone, the best person that you put on that throne in the center of your life is ill-equipped, ill-equipped to sit there, and you're actually setting them up to fail. For some, maybe it's not even a person. It's the desire for that perfect relationship. And it's that desire. If I could have the perfect relationship, I'll be complete. If you're not complete before you find that perfect relationship. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that for later. 
See, let me, let me be honest. When you examine my life, I'm going to talk about me. When you examine my life, I, I want you, if you follow my time, my expenses, and my energy, if you follow my passion where, you know, on the way to the throne in the center of my life, you're going to find, my friends, you're going to find those that I love. On the way to the throne in the center of my life, you're going to find my beautiful wife. You're going to find my kids. You're going to find the church. On the way to the center, you're going to find those that I dearly love. But when you get to the throne that sits on the center of my life, I want you to find God. I want you to find God. If you're following me, I want you to find Jesus. Now listen, don't don't get me wrong this morning. I will be the first to confess this morning. Amen? So I I don't want you sending me emails, you self-righteous, you, no. I will be the first to confess this morning. There are times and seasons in my life, either consciously or unconsciously, I've put other things on the throne in my life. I've put relationships there. I've put the church at the throne of my life. And, and to some of you say, man, that's a good thing. You're the pastor. No, it's not a good thing. I've put the church at the throne. I've put my wife at the throne. I've put my kids at the throne. I've put material possessions at the throne. I've put corporate career and desires and goals, and I've put that on the throne. And, and, and listen, when you put the wrong thing there, stepping that thing back off the throne is not a fun game to play. Come on. When the wrong thing is on the throne and you go to take it off, there's a resistance. When you go to take that thing off, that thing doesn't want to come off. That thing thinks it belongs there. When, when you go to take it off, it's hard because it still lingers, those things that are there. When you go to take it off, those are for my God kids. Grab them later. <laughs> it's not a fun game to play because we get damaged and people get hurt. All the time because of who we allow to take the throne of our lives. Some people insist on putting themselves on the throne. Ain't nobody telling me what to do. I run things here. This is my life. Nobody gave me nothing. Nobody paying my bills. I take it. I make the rules. I, I do. And, and, so, and that might sound like a good thing and very powerful and progressive to some. I run me. I'm in charge, right? I make the rules. But you see, a throne, by definition, is the place of authority over us. Oh, come on. The, it's the headship over us. It's what governs us. What's on the throne rules you. Hmm. What's on the throne fuels you. What's on the throne, it feeds you, it drives you. So by definition, whoever's on the throne should be the one with all the answers. Whoever's on the throne should be the one with all the resources. Oh, come on, man. Y'all ain't getting this. See, because, because whoever's on the throne makes all the decisions in your life should have all the answers in your life. Here's the problem. When you're on the throne, you alone are the source. Where are you going to go when you need something? Where are you going to go when, when I, I don't know about you, but the one in authority to me should be the one with all the resources. I want someone I can run to when I don't have the answer. I want someone who can supply where I'm short. 
I want someone who can carry me, guide me, instruct me, protect me, lead me, move me, motivate me, encourage me, rescue me, deliver me, save and sanctify me. This is nothing new. We've been playing this game from the very beginning of time. This is nothing new. We've been playing this, this, this same game from the... I want to title Kuma Music. created as male and female he sets us up for everything and everything that we needed everything that we could ever want or desire we had it in the garden because Jesus was at the center God was at the center so everything he created everything from the air to the plants to the trees everything visual everything everything we can feel everything we can sense everything we can need desire or want I mean you I mean they're, they're naked the word says they were naked and unafraid. I, I don't know if you could think of a better place than that. To be naked, unashamed, unafraid with the one you love. All right, be, be easy. Be easy. But, but it, it was a place where God could walk with them. The, the word gives us the implication that God would walk with them in the cool of the day and, and talk with them. See, God was at the center. It was, it was amazing, amen? The important thing about it is that they had a relationship with God. And if we see that picture in the garden, that picture that we get in Genesis, we understand that that is what God intended for us. This is what God created us for and God still desires that for us today. But here's the realness of God. He ultimately gave us the choice. He gave us the choice to have a relationship with him or not. Because, listen, because this would have been creepy if he had just created us and then held us captive on an island. And said, you got to worship me. He, he would, he, we call him Dexter, right? I mean, it would be a little creepy of God. to he, he, if, he would have to keep us locked in a basement so that we wouldn't leave forcing us to have relationship with us right he'd be like the crazy guys that we watch in the movies right he'd have us sitting on chairs tied up and then he'd come and have dinner with us and talk and we had to pretend yes yes i like chicken yes you're you're great i love you because we're forced to we're locked in this basement. He'll kill us, right? But God's not like that. God gave us the opportunity to choose to have a relationship with him or not. So instead, he gave us this genuineness in him that, that it would take something on our part to enter a relationship with him. It was only after the serpent, say after the serpent, that the enemy approaches Eve and he gives her this proposition and, and listen carefully to the proposition because it's a proposition that we wrestle with every day today. It's the same game that we're playing today. 
In Genesis 3, it says, when the serpent approached Eve, he said, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? He was exaggerating because God said you should only eat from one. That you should not only, that there was one that he couldn't, they couldn't eat from. And he said, you can, but the, the day you eat from that tree, you're going to die. It was a beautiful thing. God was giving him a choice. He said, you, I made all of this for you. Everything is yours. That one scrawny tree in the center of the garden, if you eat from that tree, you're going to die. Because God had to give us the option to desire. And, and so the serpent, the serpent tells her, you're not going to die. That's what the enemy does to us all the time. He, he, he'll put a, a, a word of doubt. He'll, he'll put a, a word of confusion. He'll say, God, they say you're going to die. You're not going to die. There, there's a 480-volt wire with warnings that say if you touch this, you're going to be a French fry. And the enemy says, you're not going to be a French fry. Come on. You're not. And you can feel, you know, that the closer you get, your hair standing up because the, the power from that, that live voltage wire, you know, you're feeling things. You know you shouldn't. And the enemy says, you're not going to die. He says, you're certainly not going to die. Here's what he says. Listen, God knows that the day that you eat from it, your eyes are going to be opened. And you're going to have wisdom. And you're going to be like God. And so <coughs> he planted a thought in her mind that said, she could be like the one on the throne. You could be the one on the throne. You don't need God to be on the throne. You don't need God to tell you what to do. You could be on the throne. You could have God's wisdom. You could be in charge. You could rule your own life. You could be your own God. It's a game of thrones. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good and pleasing, the word says, to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And she also gave her some to her husband who was with her, that bobolong. And he ate it. Side note, this is my least favorite scripture in all, in all scriptures. I would rather have read that Adam was working. I would rather have read that Adam was picking up the kids, that Adam was, you know, getting food. He was picking up McDonald's. He was doing, I would rather have read that Adam was anywhere else than to hear that Adam was right there. I hate that Adam was right there with Eve letting the snake kick it, kick it to his wife. I hate that thought. Side note, husbands, if you're the priest of the home... Make sure nobody, there's no doctrines of devils infiltrating your house. Because obviously there's still a problem with that today because there's more women here today than, than men. Come on. Wait till Father's Day, you see. I'm getting ready for that. We've been struggling and playing the Game of Thrones since the fall. It's the, it's the game we play when we're deciding who... We're going to serve. We're either going to serve the creator or we're going to serve the created. We're going to serve the creator or we're going to serve everything else. You ask anybody here on a Sunday, who's at the center of your life? On a Sunday, and you'll get, Jesus be the center of my life. They go in, dude. Like, I just asked you a question. Jesus be the son. Like, but when you leave here, what happens? The 
situation might be a little different. We might kindly ask him to relinquish his seat. Excuse me. Because the thinking, listen, the thinking is this, and I understand I've been there. If I mess around and leave God on the throne too long, he might change my whole life. He might rearrange the priorities in my life, and I got things going right now where I like them. I like where things are in my life, right? I like the flow that I got right now. If I mess around and leave him on the throne too long, he might change some of that. He might tell me that some of these things are not important and some of these things are important. He might, he might want me to bless somebody and give some of my stuff away. I work hard for my stuff. <laughs> he might want me to be nice to people. Come on, man. Ain't, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> he, might, he might want me to go, this is crazy, he might want me to give some money to the church to build that other side for the kids. Now, I got four kids in the program, but I don't mean I got to pay for all that. <laughs> Family, if we're honest, when we do that long enough, the Jesus that we put on the throne on Sundays becomes a phony substitute in a Christian t-shirt that we just throw on there because we want people to think we're good. What I've seen and experienced, hello, Lotto, Powerball, play that, that's good, is that after a while of not letting the real Jesus sit on the throne, we lack power. We lack authority in our lives, and then we get mad at God. Isn't that something? We, we don't want him to sit on the throne, but we put him on on Sundays. But then we lack power and we lack authority and then we get mad at God for it. Or we go elsewhere to find it. We go to the santos. We go to the espiritistas and the santeros. And we say, listen, I need, I need a baño. I need something. I need a, a charm for my kid. I need something for this. I need something for that. And we go to find power elsewhere because we don't find power in God because we not even have the real God on the throne in our lives. Paul, Paul, Paul talked about this He's, because we're walking around with just a form of godliness. Paul talked about it in 2 Timothy 3. He says, there are going to be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. <coughs> lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Church, that's not the life God wants us to have. I wish we can really get this. That's not the life God wants us to have. The, the enemy, the word says in John 10, 10, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and to the fullest. So many people think the Christian life is so controlled and it's so limited and it's so uh, uh, narrow and it's so closed-minded and it's so... No, the Christian life is the full life. It's the full life. 
The Christian life calls things that aren't as though they are. The Christian life is saying, God, I, I can't pay this bill. I've done the right things. I've, 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 you know, I've, I've done well with my finances. You know, you know what debt means? Doing everything but tithing. I... That's, that's a whole other message. That's a whole other message. That, that's not here. That's not here. That's not important today. But, but the, 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 that life is saying, God, I don't, it's coming to God when, you, when you're short and, and getting a check in the mail. That, 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 that's it's stuff you don't understand. God, you know, I need a job. And, 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 and it's, it's reaching out and it's, into, and it's asking God and then it's watching God work things out on your behalf. And man, this is an exciting life. If being a Christian is boring to you, you're doing it wrong. You're just in a religion. Let go of that today. The abundant life God wants us to have is a life marked by his presence. If every single one of you in here doesn't have a testimony they can share from last week, maybe, maybe he's not on the throne in your life. I know that's a, harsh, that's a harsh word, right? And understand something. I'm not, let me, let me pause for a minute there. There's times of waiting. And so I'm not saying, you know, I'm not promising this thing that, oh, when we decide to follow God, we ask him and it's there on the doorstep. And God's not FedEx. He's not UPS, right? God, it's not like, boom, send it to me. Boom, boom. No, sometimes there's seasons of waiting in our lives. But what I'm saying, if you don't have a testimony from last week, it's because in everything, even in the waiting, God gives us peace. Even through the hard times, God gives us. And so our testimony might not be, well, I went to the doctor, I had cancer, I prayed, I don't have cancer today. Our testimony might be, I went to the doctor, I have cancer, but today I'm alive and God's given me peace to deal with it. And I'm walking and I'm moving. You, you understand? That's, that's what I'm saying. So don't, I, I don't want to clear that up there. Amen. The abundant life he wants us to have it when he's at the center. He's the source, the supplier, the provider, the multiplier, the restorer, the redeemer, the prince of peace. He's my shield and my sword. He's my help and my, the lifter of my head. He's my strong tower, my advocate, my comforter, my counselor. He's my intercessor, my deliverer. He's my dad. He's my dad. Some of you grew up without a dad and you don't know what that is, but he's my dad. He's Abba Father. And so there's no question at all that what he wants from me is good. We can trust him. Somebody say amen. amen. Now listen up, uh, church family. I, I don't want you to feel guilty today. I don't want you to feel condemned or less than this morning because maybe you just realized, cue my music. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want you to feel guilty today because maybe you just realized you've been playing this Game of Thrones all along. Okay, don't cue the music. That's fine. The truth is, <laughs> the truth is we all have, and we all still do, play this game of thrones. And, and like I've been sharing in the last few weeks, there, there's been incredible men of the word, men who have done this same exact thing. We talked about John the Baptist recently, who John the Baptist saw heaven open up. He saw had the, the Spirit of God descend on Jesus. He, he, saw, he heard God's word on Jesus. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah. <coughs> he went on to baptize hundreds and hundreds of people. And when things got difficult for him, 
he questioned. He said, God, is that really you on the throne? Is it really you or should I wait for another? Did I do the wrong thing, right? There's, there's so many people that we read about through the word. His very disciples, the ones that were with him, the ones that followed him, that saw things, the ones that were with him when he fed the 5,000 with one happy meal. The, one, the ones that were with him when, when he, was, he, he, was, he was on a boat and he was sleeping and there was a storm and the, and the ship is, is turning and Jesus is chilling asleep. And, and the disciples are freaking out like, oh God, oh God, we're going to die, we're going to die. And, and they're getting mad because Jesus was asleep on the boat. And so finally they wake him up and they say, come on, Papa, you wake up. And they, and they ask him, don't you care that we're all going to die? And Jesus wakes up and says, come on, man, why you doubt me? He said, why'd you doubt? It's a beautiful thing. He says, I'm here. Don't you? You saw me, right? Whether I was sleeping, whether I, I'm here, though. So why didn't you have your faith? And he got up and said, peace be still. And the winds went whoosh. And everything was calm. They said, why'd you doubt, man? And so, so listen, I, what I'm saying, I don't want you to feel guilty. I don't want you to feel condemned. You're in good company this morning. The disciples, Paul, uh, uh, John the Baptist, those that were with him, they, they did the same thing that we do. So don't beat yourselves up this morning, but let's settle it, amen? Let's settle it today. Fast forward, Palm Sunday. Here's the traditional text. Sorry, took so long to get here. The Gospels collectively tell us that on this day, Jesus entered Jerusalem with the final goal in mind. And I want you to really dig deep into this picture. I want you to see it. Up until this time, every time Jesus performed a miracle, every time we read that he healed somebody, he would tell them what? Don't tell nobody. My time has not yet come. He would do this incredible, like this man with leprosy. You know, he couldn't walk. He's all dried up. And he would heal him. And he would tell him, Papi, don't tell nobody. And of course, nobody could ever keep that. They're running, you know, the lame man got up. He hadn't walked all his life. He got up and he got legs. You know he told everybody. You can't tell a Hispanic not to tell nobody when, when something big happens, right? So, but all up until this time, he told them, don't tell nobody. My time has not yet come. Relax. Don't tell nobody. Keep it, keep it between us. My time has not yet come. But understand that at this point, Palm Sunday, the time was now. The hour has come. The time is now. In a few days, he's going to be betrayed, and he's going to be handed over and wrongfully convicted for the sins that he didn't even commit. I want you to get this picture. It's Passover in Jerusalem. People come from everywhere to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So there are hundreds and thousands of people. There are people from everywhere. All these Jewish people come from everywhere to celebrate the Passover. And so he knew this entry into Jerusalem, he's taken his life into his own hands. Because the religious leaders of that time, they've already tried to kill him a couple times. They've already put a hit on his life. The, the pastors, the religious leaders put a hit on Jesus. And now they were watching Lazarus because recently he had just raised Lazarus from the dead. And so a lot of people were drawn to Lazarus. Because, and the problem with Lazarus is that Lazarus was now proof that Jesus is the real deal. Because everybody saw that he raised him from the dead. And so the religious leaders consulted among themselves and they were like, yo, we're going to have to kill Lazarus too. The word says that. Read it. He said, we're going to have to kill him too. Because he's proof that Jesus is and, and he's stirring too many things up and, and that's not how we like it. 
And so he knew, Jesus knew that by entering into Jerusalem, he was taking his own life. And that's the beautiful exchange. He was laying it down as a sacrifice that you and I could have life. Awesome thing, God had everything set up. We read in Luke 19, it says, as he approached two of the disciples, saying to them, he said, go into the village ahead of us, and as you enter it, you're going to find the colt, a donkey, tied there. Go untie the donkey and bring it to me. If anybody stops you and says, why are you taking this, tell them God needs it. That's bold, right? And so the disciples went ahead. They were like, oh, man, this is crazy, man. Imagine the two of them talking on the way, right? They're like, really? We're just going to walk into Jerusalem. Thousands of people everywhere. I'm just going to find the donkey as soon as I walk in. And we're just going to take it from the owner. Like, that's crazy, right? But it says they did it. They went into Jerusalem. As soon as they walked in to the town, there was a donkey tied there. They were like. <laughs> they untied it, but it, they didn't get away. The owner says, hey, what are you doing? And he said, uh, the Lord needs it. And the owner said, okay. <laughs> God had it all set up. Listen to me. This is for somebody today. God has it all set up. There's things in your life that God has already set up for you. And all, all you have to do is walk in and take it. It feels crazy. It feels like it's too much. But there's things in your life God has already set up for you. He's just waiting for you to walk into town. See it and say, thank you. And say, hey, what are you doing with that? Hey, God said it's mine. Amen. Verse 35 says they brought it to Jesus and they threw their cloaks on the colt and they put Jesus on it and he went along and people spread their cloaks on the, they took off their cloaks and they put them on the floor so he could walk over them. The other gospels tell us that they cut down palms and they laid out palms on his path to make a, a, a road of palms and they waved palms because palms were a sign of victory. And when he came near the place where the road goes down into the Mount of Olives, it says the whole crowd of the disciples, they began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they have seen. And they were shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And peace in heaven and glory to the highest. And, and some of the religious leaders, they were getting real tight about this because they, they, they didn't like that, that they were worshiping Jesus. And, and because in the Jewish custom, you don't worship man. Man can't accept worship. Man can't accept praise. And, and so they were saying, so they stopped him and they said, teacher, silence your disciples. Like he's saying, you see what they're, they're calling you God. They're worshiping you. Silence them. And Jesus said, I know. He said, but they think you're God. He said, I know. He said, but they're worshiping you. They're praying. He said, I know. He says, I tell you, if I silence them, the rocks will cry out. Ha, <laughs> ha. So picture the scene now as he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city. The word says in verse 41, Luke is the only one that tells us this piece. Luke is very detailed. He kept a real detailed account. He did all the research and found all this history and all, everything that happened. And he was very meticulous about it. He's the only one that tells us. As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over. And picture the scene because the word there for wept isn't just like. It's a word for uncontrollable sobbing. You know that when you're. And you can't stop. It's, it's that word. So picture Jesus is on this donkey. And he's weeping. 
He's weeping over the city because he's seeing it. And people are worshiping and people are saying, Hosanna and, and praise to the king and, and blessed is the name of the Lord. And he's weeping. He's crying. And nobody even cares to, to ask. Nobody even cares. They just, they know what's happening. And in their minds, they're expecting something. Because they had their own agenda. Uh, worship team, you guys can come. Musicians, you guys can come. I want them to think I'm closing. It's getting late. He, he wept over it. Picture that for a moment. In, inwardly, crowds outwardly were worshiping him, but inwardly they had their own agenda. It was Palm Sunday. And Jesus to himself, he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. You see, the people were shouting, here's the king, but... The truth is, Jesus wasn't wearing a royal robe. They were shouting, you know, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. But, but he wasn't on, when the king came to take power, he came on a white horse. He came on a chariot. That's what was customary of that time. Jesus was on a donkey. To fulfill the scriptures that were in the Old Testament that says, behold, your king comes humbly, lowly, and riding on a donkey. Jesus fulfilled every messianic prophecy talked about in the Old Testament and this was the last one that he did in that form. He entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey and if you had looked, his army, there aren't a band of well-trained soldiers. They were, they were a band of fishermen and hated tax collectors. His army were just common people. People were shouting because what they wanted was temporary. They wanted to be delivered from the bondage of the Romans. Jesus was coming so that they could be delivered from the bondage of their sin. They wanted Jesus to conquer the Romans. Jesus came to conquer death. They shouted, Hosanna, God save us. They worshipped him with the palms, but it was a game of thrones because they wanted Jesus on the political throne. They wanted Jesus to take this physical throne. And so the same crowds that were worshiping and waving their palms on Palm Sunday, once they realized that that wasn't the throne that he was going to take, once they realized that he wasn't going to deliver them from the Roman rule, once they realized he wasn't going to come in as a king and rule, then those same ones that were, that were raising their palms and worshiping, they were waving their fists and shouting, crucify him, kill him. He means nothing to us. It's a game of thrones, and I'll close this message with the same question that I opened it up with. If someone were to come along and examine your life and take a look at the path that you're on, check out the focus of your life and how you spend your time, your money, and your energy, what would they find sitting at the throne in the center of your lives? And I'll say to you today before we leave, if you're tired of playing this game of thrones, ask yourself, is what you're living for worth dying for? Because if we break it down, wealth, wealth comes and goes like a rainstorm. You can have all of it and find out that you still can't buy what you really want. We examine the throne and talk about things and things we know. Things are so temporary. 
you already know those things don't satisfy. Because if they did, you wouldn't need another thing once you got that one thing, right? If it's a person that we have on the throne, listen, you already know that person could be here today and gone tomorrow. If it's a relationship, that perfect relationship that you think you'll be complete, you'll only be confused if you're not already complete in yourself before you enter that relationship. Listen, I'll be honest with you, even religion, putting religion on the throne, that might sound like the right thing and that might sound like what I'm calling you to do today. Putting religion on the throne will only weigh you down with rules and regulations that you'll never be able to keep and it'll leave you more condemned and more full of shame than you were before you put it on the throne. I'm inviting you today. Jesus says, come. Come and I will give you rest. I love the message puts it this way in Matthew 11. It says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, Jesus says, and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. The unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you, God says. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely. Listen, I know today is a special day and some of you came just for the palm. And I know that I might never see some of you again. And that's why I went this route and that's why I believe I had to attach a package to this so that if I never see you again, every time you think of a palm, Every time you see a palm, every time you, you, you come across the one that you hung in your car or the one that you, you hung in the room, the little fancy cross or dove that you made, I want you to think, who is on the throne in my life? What am I living for? Or am I just one of those that said, Hosanna, Hosanna then said, kill him, because he's not what I want. Worship team, as you lead, I just want to open the altars to you, and if you need to come, if you want to come to the throne, we have some beautiful pictures of thrones that were even painted today during, during worship. God's calling you to the throne. Leave all the fakeness all the phoniness and just come and put him at the center of your life if that's you I invite you to come if you've already done that I just invite you to stand as we just worship as we close this time together thank you for spending today with us thank you for being here we love you